for being with us in this time of communion today. We certainly are encouraged by those hope-filled words, words that the blood of Jesus purifies us from all unrighteousness. Be with us as we now move towards our time of study and reflection in your word, and be with us this day. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I want to welcome you back to our sermon series on, on being chosen as we continue to work our way through and to think about all that uh, God has done for us, that God is doing with us, and that God is doing through us. Virgil referenced something this morning. He used the word perfection. And the truth is that in our gut, well, all of us know we're imperfect. Uh, we, we, we strive to do better. Some of you are, are perfectionists. You try to do incredibly well at everything, but somehow we always seem to come up short. Perfection seems virtually unattainable. God has shown us pretty clearly how we should live. He's shown us how to have a relationship with him, but we often feel like we fail. We often feel like our best efforts just not quite good enough. Now, maybe you've asked yourself questions like these. Maybe you've pondered, why can't I just get my spiritual life together? Or why do I keep on doing this thing I know I shouldn't do? Or why can't I just be a better Christian? Or why can't I be sold out for Jesus like I see other people? We experience this tension in that we desire to be complete, we desire to be perfect for God, but we know in our gut we just never seem to get there. If you've ever felt that way, you are in good company. One of the great theologians of the New Testament was the Apostle Paul. But I want you to hear something that he wrote in a moment of, I think, introspection and reflection. It was after he had written those letters to the Romans and the Corinthians, and it came at a point in Paul's life where, where he is, he's really thinking about uh, what really matters to him. And here's some things he says about his life. He says, I am unspiritual. Ever felt that way? I am a slave to sin. I don't understand why I do what I do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Sin is living in me. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Do you realize who's writing this and saying this? This is the guy that Jesus himself handpicked to be the great missionary of the church. And that person, the Apostle Paul, says, I'm struggling. I have weaknesses. I, I can't get it right. If that happened to Paul, we, we should be encouraged if we feel the same way sometimes. We're in a series called Chosen, and I want you to understand something, that just like God chose Paul, he chooses you and he chooses me in spite of all that other stuff. His choice is still on us. And I want us to understand that that's important, that it matters, that it makes a difference. Peter also understood all that he had, had done, all that he was about, and, and Peter says this to us from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. We read these words, Christ suffered for you, for you. He chose you. You are the reason he did what he did. He left you an example 
so that you should follow in his steps. As for him, he committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate, but he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. You know, in so many ways, this passage, Peter says, listen, Jesus has carried away our sins. He's carried them away. He took them. He bore them. He carried them away. Uh, He removed them for us. It's unexpected. It's hard to believe, but it was about eight years ago that I got our our new home here in uh, in Columbus. We'd lived in Brown County for 16 years, and we moved to town. And uh, it was about the same exact time of year that I got the property. Uh, Now, I needed some work, and I was living elsewhere, but we were working on the property. and, And one morning in November of that year, there was a big snow. And I was actually excited that I was going to get to go up to my new house and get to shovel snow because for 16 years, rather than Brown County, there was no shoveling snow. If you know where I lived, that's just not how it got done. But, but I thought, this is going to be great. And I got myself a snow shovel over there at the Menards, and I was all ready to go shovel snow. I was actually excited about it because shoveling snow was a lot more fun than replacing toilets. And so I was going to shovel snow that morning. I was all excited about it. And so... I got to the house, and to my shock and amazement, and to this day, I don't know who did it, someone else had removed all the snow. Every single flake was off my sidewalks and off my driveway. So I had to do that other job, which wasn't much fun, but, but I still to this day don't know, don't know who did it. Don't know if like the snowplow guy got at the wrong house, don't know if I had a generous neighbor, or if God sent a team of angels. I just don't know how he did it. But here's the point, a task, a burden, something I thought was mine to bear was borne by someone else. It's exactly what Jesus does for us with these problems, these temptations, these sins, these struggles that we carry. Peter says, listen, he's carrying them for us. He's removed it for us. He has carried away our sins just as assuredly as all that snow got carried away from my driveway. It's how he does it. Doesn't seem fair. We go back to what Peter wrote again here, and he says, listen, he himself bore our sins in in his body on the cross. He was the one who bore our sins. That next phrase is even more harsh. By his wounds, you've been healed. The first main point this morning was that Jesus has carried away the sins of the chosen. The second one is profound. It's that by his wounds we are healed. Now that's an odd phrase, that wounds can heal us. And yet I recognize fully how true it is. I remember growing up that my grandfather had, uh, in the early 1970s, he had a very massive heart attack. He had one of those early pioneering open-heart surgeries at Christ Hospital in Cincinnati. I got to go see him just a couple days after the surgery when he was still in bed, and, 
And I saw, I swear, it looked like a zipper from his belly button to the top of his chest. All the stitches on the side where they had opened him up. Now here's what was great. My grandpa was still alive. But he was scarred. Now I could never have guessed back then that the next person in my family who would bear such a, such a scar wasn't going to be my father and it wasn't going to be me despite a lifetime of Big Macs. I could never have imagined the next person who would bear such a scar would be my grandson, Henry. And yet, earlier this year, you know his story. Henry was born with a very serious heart condition. And just four and a half days after he was born, had to have open heart surgery. And right now, still on his body, from his belly button to his little sternum, is a scar. But it's a scar that is a reminder of healing. It's a scar that says it's a reminder of life. Peter says, I want you to know that Jesus bears such scars. And Peter would know. Remember, Peter, we've talked about this often. The failings of Paul and Peter are important because we ourselves fail in so many ways. And yet God used Peter and Paul to change the world. And if he could use them, he could use us. So here was Peter, denier, cursor, all the things he had done wrong. And he was transformed when he saw Jesus. And remember, if you go back and reread the story of the appearance of Jesus to the disciples, Jesus says things like this, look, look at my hands, look at my side. When Peter first sees Jesus, the scars of the nails are still in his palms and his wrist. The scars are still on his head and on his side. And yet, scarred Jesus is also the one who restores, and he completely restores Peter. When Peter looked at Jesus, he understood, listen, the thing I did wrong... That's why Jesus did what he did. And the things we've done wrong, that's why Jesus did what he did. And unlike my grandfather and Henry, for the problem of sin, the greatest scars and the greatest wounds were not inflicted on us. They were inflicted on Jesus. And by his wounds, we were healed. Well, Peter's making some things really clear to us. Jesus carried our sins away. By the wounds of Christ, we're healed. When he says that, he's referring to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 through 7. The words say, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on his head. And by his wounds, we are healed. But there's a problem. There's a problem for us. And the problem is that sin causes a separation from God. Sin is incompatible with God. This is why it tormented the Apostle Paul. Paul's like, look, I know that God's chosen me. I know that God loves me, but, but I continue to do the wrong thing. And I understand that doing the wrong thing or the things that are unholy or aren't like God, those things separate me from God. And I don't want to be separated from God. Because 
Sin is incompatible with God. God is holy. John wrote it this way in 1 John 1, 5. He said, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. What does light have to do with darkness? So we understand fully Paul's struggle. Chosen, forgiven, but still struggling with sin. And we recognize that that's problematic in so many ways. But let's repeat, return again to Peter's words. and let's, let's hear them again and think about them now in this context of sins being carried away and wounds that can heal us and the realities of how incompatible sin is with God. And let's look one more time at our text. Christ suffered for you. He left you an example. You should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And he himself bore our sins in his body. I'm going to pause for a moment there. There's a phrase that gets used there. It has the idea of, of drawing something out. It's the idea that he draws the sins that we commit out of us. It really literally is like a sponge. It's the idea of absorbing something like a sponge, like bounty, the quicker picker-upper, right? I mean, it, it's something that there's a mess, but it absorbs it. It draws it into itself. This is the idea of absorption. Jesus absorbs our sins. He bore our sins in his body. Now, if we are in Christ, understand that he is perpetually and continually drawing sin out of us, hoping to make us more and more like, well, like him. He is drawing us closer to him, and he is pulling us. And so we find ourselves not at least having a desire to do what is right and not what is wrong. He is the one who is absorbing us. And friends, we are the body of Christ. We are a part of him. We are his feet and his hands. We are with him, and he is with us. And so we read the rest of this passage, and he says, he bore our sins or absorbed our sins in his body on the cross for a reason, and this is the reason, so that we might die to sin, and so we might live for righteousness. For by his, sin, by his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. A question before us is this question, have I and am I walking close to my shepherd and my overseer? If not, 
there's good news. He is the kind of shepherd who looks for the lost sheep. That verse has had a striking impact on me of late. We are averaging as a church since we've returned uh, about 300 people each week. That's exciting and encouraging. It's, it's good to see what God's doing and through our services. But I also know that before this whole pandemic began, we were running nearly 500 people each week. So what's happened and where is everybody and what's going on? Hundreds, over 100 most weeks, still watch online. If you're watching online today, we're glad that you're still watching and we hope you'll be back in fellowship with us soon. We are understanding as leadership now that we have a task before us because we are responsible for lost sheep. And if we don't know where someone is, well, just like Jesus, we have a responsibility to try to run after the lost sheep. It's a burden that's on our heart. Jesus runs after us when we're not as close to him as we need to be. I hope that you'll help us in that. You see, you're a part of his body. You're a part of his of his shepherding team, if you will. The responsibility to reach the lost sheep isn't just for a pastor or the elders, it's for all of us to look out for one another, to reach out. So we do what we're called to do as well as we can do it, understanding that God has forgiven us, that he has loved us, that he has chosen us, that he has redeemed us, that he has carried away our sins, and he has brought us into a right relationship with him. His wounds have healed us, they have restored us, and he has made us complete. Why? Why did he do it? Why did he love us so? From the very beginning, when there was nothing, when the world was, earth was formless and void, God was present. Before there was time that could be changed one hour at night, God was present. And man and creation was entirely, 100% God's idea. You are God's idea. And he has desired to have a relationship with his creation from the moment it was conceived. And his will is that none would perish, not one. That's why he reached out to someone like Paul, totally misguided, doing all the wrong things, killing Christians, and he transformed his life. And that's why he gave Peter another chance. Even after Peter said, I don't know him, blankety blanket. I still love you, Peter. Do you love me? And that's why he reaches out to us. Imperfect, flawed, struggling, Yet today he says, whosoever will may come. We can see clearly that we are loved and we are chosen and we are made complete 
by Jesus. Are you complete today? Or are you like the puzzle that I had to, the unfortunate task of working when a family member was in the hospital? I don't know who the sick person was that did this, but there was a 500-piece puzzle, and we worked it. While we waited there for hours during a surgery, we worked the puzzle and discovered at the end of the day there were only 499 pieces, and one was missing, and the puzzle was incomplete. Well, you know, some of you who are perfectionists, you might have put 499 pieces together, but I want you to know something. Without Jesus at the center of your life, you are still an incomplete work. We all need him. He is the one who brings wholeness to our being, purpose to our being. And he loves you. He chose you. He changes you. He wants to complete you. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to make that choice as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation. <laughs>